Today's Desert Ranch podcast is brought to you by Roar Zufari, located in Vienna, Virginia. Known as Fairfax County's largest petting zoo, Roar Zufari's goal is to connect families and animals and create awareness, understanding of wildlife, and the environment in which it lives. The 30-acre family-owned zoo is located at 1228 Hunter Mill Road in Vienna, Virginia. Visitors are offered a Zufari tour, walking tour, camel rides, and the zoo features a large walk-in parakeet aviary, magical butterfly gardens, and numerous memorable opportunities to get close to animals of all sizes. On the web at www.roarsufari.com, also on Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Desert Ranch Podcast with Vanessa Rohr. Vanessa and her guests will give you some insight into the lives of those who are keeping us from being naked, hungry, and thirsty. Now, here is your host, Vanessa Rohr. Welcome back to another episode of the Desert Ranch Podcast, where we try not only to be enriching, but informative. I just have to say how to tell any listeners about how you and I met. You were yeah. our very brave veterinarian when at Roar Supari several years ago. <laughs> that was wonderful. I, you know, I still even now think back so fondly to the, that time. I, um, I, I learned so much. I mean, it really it pushed my envelope of knowledge and skills and uh, jerry-rigging at times. <laughs> well, how many you know, vets do you think were in or are in the Reston area? It felt back then, it felt like a lot, but they were most small animals, you know? Yeah, like they you're were, right. I can't think of anybody. And, and you know, um, or would do large. I don't know if you would consider yourself brave, but I appreciate your bravery and courage in taking on an activity like ours. And I would guess, I bet there was, there's probably a hundred within 20 miles of us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, small animals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what I always found so, um, well, surprising because like, these are really cool animals, right? Right. Might be bringing in. Yeah. Um, but that that's wouldn't even look at like a macaw or a parrot, um, yeah. a, a ferret, right. things like that. So, right. I know, which also is a little strange, but you know, I mean, not it, it's only strange to me for my paradigm, you know. Right. Right. You know, well, I'm, thank I'm you. Sure. Yeah. So <laughs> it was wonderful. I have so many, like I said, I have so many fond memories. Um, my yeah, boys like even know. We'll still talk about it. So, absolutely. So you left Virginia and you ended up yeah. where? Well, now I'm in Southern Colorado, um, almost in New Mexico, basically. Okay, and so, kind of where the Southern Rockies meet the high desert. Okay, is that Farmington area? No, um, further. The actual town is Walsenburg, Colorado. And it is about 45 miles north of the New Mexico border and about an hour south of Pueblo. Okay. Um, a little tiny town. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you would hardly even notice it unless you were looking for it, you know. Perfect. That, that's where I live. <laughs> mm. Yeah. 
And I enjoyed, I listened to, I was listening to one of your podcasts and um, I love Vanessa, how you describe where you live. And I could just totally picture it in my, in my mind's eye. Well, thank you so much. And I used to tell people that we were in the middle of nowhere. And then I listened to one of my favorites, Mike Rose podcast a few weeks ago. And he's like, no. And it was his guest, actually. Everyone's in the middle of somewhere. There is no place called nowhere. Maybe we should start one. We should name a little, go to Alaska, nowhere, Alaska. That's right. There might, (laughs) there might be a nowhere, Alaska, actually. I don't know. Um, So tell me about your practice. Well, um, it's a mixed animal practice. When I bought the practice part, um, I bought it from an older vet who had really slowed down um, and really wasn't doing much, if any, large animal or you know, food animal medicine. Um, and you know, I started out my career um, as a baby vet up in northern Wyoming. I don't know if you ever knew that, but I, I think and I remember there, you being a Wyomingite, yeah. <laughs> up there, I I did a lot of horses and cattle work up there. You know, and in my mixed practice work up there, we all rotated call, so we all saw some small animals. Um, but among the clinicians, e- each person kind of had their areas of interest. We their expertise. We're technically not allowed to. We're not a specialist unless we have actually passed a board certification just a little tidbit, but and we all had our areas of expertise. So long story short, um, you know, yes, I, that was about the time of the economic crash, the great recession right around 08, 09. And um, I ended up relocating back East um, and my mother had passed away and it was just a, you know, a lot of stuff happened. Um, And so anyways, I ended up in Northern Virginia and that was then through a few more series of events, I met you. And then now, goodness, I'm trying to do the math in my head. How many years later? Anyways, I'm in Southern Colorado. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I know. I was going to say 10, but. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So long circuitous route to say the least. Um, and, you know, I do tend to in my just in the, especially in the first few years that I was down here, I've been here for four years now. Um, and it I seemed initially I would make a lot of comparing and contrasting. And it's been really interesting to me how um, think, certain things in the cattle industry are the same everywhere. And then other things vary drastically by region. Um and that's been really fascinating. And that's been another really exciting challenge, you know, to, to me as a practitioner. So, right. Right. I would imagine, um, you know, cattle production where you're at is probably similar to where we're at in Arizona in that, um, it takes yes. a lot of acres to yes, ma'am. grow beef. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, you know, when, and there is a contrast right there when I first moved to Northern Wyoming, I thought that that was arid and, um, <clears throat> Southern Colorado, uh, <laughs> you know, make Sheridan Wyoming look like an oasis. Right. So, right. You know, yeah. It's, and, and the type of cattle that, you know, people raise down here are, are very different. The, the phenotype, you know, okay. 
Um, definitely smaller frames tends to predominate down here. Yeah. Um, Got some Corianian yeah. in there probably. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I was going to say some a lot horns. of Corianian flush, longhorn, you know, right. Your, your boss syndicus type, yes. you know, cause, and, and that brings in a lot of hardiness change, which initially, like, I didn't get that at all. I was like, what the heck are these people thinking? Like, yeah. Where's your black? Right. I'm like, and well, how are you going to make a living at market? You know, what? I, but then my first preg checking season and I'm checking herds and they're Coriani mamas that they ran an Angus bull on and they have a 97% pregnancy rate and like a 99% calf crop and they're weighing averaging 490, 500 pounds. I'm like, I, I stand corrected. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've got nothing to add to you here. <laughs> right. And those hardy mamas are living off a of sagebrush and climbing mountains and yep. fighting off I call predators. Them sage rats. <laughs> right. yeah. And they can get, de- they know, I mean, yeah, they will climb in and out of arroyos like it's nothing. Right. Just what mm-hmm. they do. Yeah. <laughs> so you came on before the pandemic and... Yeah. Um, tell me about how that went, you know, were you having, have you had changes in staffing since that and, and changes in your business model? Yeah, tons. Um, it was, it's been an interesting two years. (laughs) It it is definitely, you know, I'm not, I, I, on one hand, I'd like to think I'm not that old. And then on the other hand, I'm like, you know, I guess I'm finally at my career where I'm just old enough. And it's like, this is the been the hardest uh, time in veterinary medicine that I've ever experienced or in, heard anybody even talk about, you know, mm-hmm. and staffing and, and labor has been crazy. You know, um, some people understandably just, you know, didn't want to work. And I'm sure that they were, you know, either at risk themselves, you know, older folks or, you know, having their own underlying health issues or stuff. Um, and just, you know, and some people, I think in, in, in general, if they were like close enough to retirement, you know, they're kind of like, you know what, I don't really need to have that condo in Scottsdale. Like I'm good. I'm just, I'm out, you know? Right. (laughs) So it's, it's, how can I say it's just been crazy crazy rough. Um, in the end it got to where, you know, we went from being a two and a half to three vet practice, um, down to just me. And yeah. And then of course, you know, clients are understandably like mad, you know, cause we can't be as responsive as we used to be, you know, like, um, and it's like, I don't know what to say. I mean, the, the whole country is having a veterinary shortage not just large animals, you know, in the last like 10, 15 years, right. If you're in ag, I'm sure you've been hearing about for maybe even 20 years that, you know, gosh, we're having a hard time getting new grads to go into large animal food, animal medicine, um, rural practice. And now it's everywhere. Even some of the veterinarians in more suburban areas, um, practice owners are having a hard time, you know, recruiting a vet, um, I just saw a statistic that said that by the year 2030, I can't remember, we're going to have a deficit of like they're projecting 30,000 veterinarians. No. Yeah. 
Right. And is yes. That because, so I would say, yeah. Sorry. Is that because okay. um, th- there are not enough new vets coming on and there's like a big retirement? I think it's, it, it's a kind of a D all of the above. Um, there are a lot of people, people have got, have gained more animals, um, especially in the pandemic. Now I, the jury is still kind of out, but some estimates were saying that Americans get gained, I think like 900 pets per veterinarian. Wow. In the last year and a half. Wow. Now that may be exaggerated. Like, you know, that's just kind of a first glance numbers that I saw somebody estimating. Um, so the jury is still out a little bit as far as how, how bad it, that really is. Um, but they, the, the trends have been that Americans have been getting more and more animals. Um, and mm-hmm. the veterinary schools are stuck with their infrastructure. You know, it's not just really a case of like, Oh, let's, okay. Let's take our class size from 70 to let's go to 250. Well, where are you going to put them? Like there's literally no room, you know, in, in different vet schools, right. In the infrastructure. So, um, and then you've got the boomer generation retiring, um, or if they don't retire and I can admire them, I, I understand the passion and the grit, you know, some of the, some of that generation will work until they literally can't fit. Like, you know, there's, I know several older vets that joke about, I'm going out of here boots first. (laughs) (laughs) Just hopefully you're not in the shoe. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I understand like your dedication. I'm mad admiration. (laughs) Right, right. Um, But, and, and as much as I absolutely love my career and my field, it's all I ever wanted to do since I was, nine years old. I do hope that I'm not preg checking when I'm 91. Right. <laughs> or 92. Yes. I do. I admit. Maybe a beach. On the other hand, the if my body is held up that long, then maybe I'll, I'll be like yeah. rocking and rolling. Maybe that's the secret of, of life. Maybe that's the, the fountain of youth is actually a plastic sleeve and a yeah. cow manure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just got a new idea for the next, um, Trendy spa, uh, spa yeah. facial. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my gosh. We're going to upcycle. Yes. It's completely <laughs> organic, 100% natural. Yes. <laughs> and you can start out your day and forget about CrossFit. You come do farm fit. There you go. That's great. I can stack a thousand bales of hay. Yeah. And then we'll go to the cow barn for your facial. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how to work a manicure into all of that because my hands usually look like I just crawled out of a well. You know, I was going to say, um, would, well, if you're prick checking heifers, would that count as a shoulder massage? Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you might be onto something there. <laughs> so, um, you're clearly busier now than you were two years ago. That was going to be my next question. And, and, uh, and not just in, um, you know, your practice, but I understand um, that you were um, a little, you were fairly politically active in one of the propositions that came up in Colorado this year. Yes, for better or worse, I'm very passionate. 
for um, for better, I will say that. And I, and I would say I would give you a little more credit than just passionate. I think you're very courageous in and you know whether it's taking on a a zoo facility with all kinds of animals you've never seen before, or you know standing up for um, producers in the Colorado legislature. Thank you. Yeah. Um, where, where do you want to start? Yeah. Uh, so gosh, as far as to discuss it, that's a, a huge topic. Um, right, right. So this is proposition 16 came yep. about and did that come during the beginning of this legislative season or was that kind of floating around out there before? It was, I, let me just double check. Cause you know, since COVID, like all of my years run together. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, while you chat, okay. we'll pause for a commercial break. The Desert Ranch Podcast is brought to you from Indian Springs Working Ranch, located in the beautiful Pelencio Wilderness Mountains of Eastern Arizona. Indian Springs Working Ranch provides guests with an authentic working ranch experience. Guests will herd cattle on horseback, repair fences, and live as real ranch hands do. Check it out at www.indianspringsworkingranch.com. Also brought to you by Our Lazy J Wildlife Ranch, an education and conservation breeding ranch in Eager, Arizona. Get up close and personal with more than 56 species from around the world. Encounter sloth and lemur, cheetah and clouded leopard, as well as many types of hooved, feathered, and scaled wildlife on the web at ourlazyjranch.com. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Desert Ranch Podcast with Vanessa Rohr. We hope you are connecting with our guest today. Now, back to the show. Here again is Vanessa Rohr. Um, yes, it came up, at least it first came to my attention um, early in 2021, I believe, like right around January, February. Um, okay. And they, so it was a ballot initiative, um, which at least in Colorado, the legislature or... So I am not a lawyer at all. Right. I'm not a politician. So I, you know, I don't want to misspeak or if I do misspeak, right. It's just, just cause like, I don't, that's not my lane. Um, but some two uh, representatives in the Colorado uh, state house government um, had wrote and introduced a initiative. And I just double checked. They actually um, filed the initiative February 2nd, 2021. And um, the signatures for the initiative were due October 18th. And what that means is that, at least in Colorado, as I learned, um, when, when, I guess, I'm sorry if I'm like, not saying the right name, the word, but I'm like representatives, like our, our legislators, yeah. um, if they file an initiative, a ballot initiative, then they have to, they have to secure a certain percentage of registered voters in each precinct um, that are s- basically signing a petition. Right. To saying say, that they, yeah. 
they they support this and getting it yes. to a vote yep. in front of the public. Ex- yes, exactly. Thank you. You're much more articulate than I am. Well, well you know what's fascinating about ballot um, initiatives is, and and within the last few weeks, I was on an airplane. Okay. From well, to get to Arizona, I had to fly all the way to LA and then oh back from Virginia. Uh, and uh, yeah, on uh, that plane, I sitting next to this lady and um, I was saying, oh, you know, are you coming out to California for a vacation? And she says, no, no, I'm, I'm going to work. And I said, oh, great. Well, that's interesting. You know, what um, what field do you work in? And she goes, um, I, I get uh, signatures for ballot measures. And I said, oh, um, are you from LA? And she goes, no, no, I'm from Florida. I said, oh, so do you work for like a company or a nonprofit organization? And she said, um, there's a bunch of really wealthy millionaires that pay us and we get paid $12 a signature. And I said, oh, wow. How many signatures do you need to get? She said, we need 8 million for this ballot measure. And she didn't say what the ballot measure was. And so in my mind, I can see this happening, right? Like I've been at Safeway and um, someone's standing with a clipboard and they're like, hey, we're trying to get a a measure on the, um, a ballot measure up to vote and it's going to protect animals. Oh, I want to protect animals. So I'm going to sign it. Yes. So, I mean, I don't know that that's what happened in Colorado, but that opened my Mm -hmm. eyes to, mm-hmm. you know, this, this type of legislative process. Yes. And it, you seem, um, and what opened also same thing, what, you know, opening my eyes, a, um, first off, of course, the urban, just generalizing the urban areas would be a, a can of corn, you know, right. Like, right. like you said, all this, you know, shoppers at the grocery store coming out, right. Um, yeah, clearly they're not but in your little town or my little yeah. town to get these yeah. signatures. However, I learned that they still only needed 2% of the registered voters in each precinct to wow. sign. Right. So let's just, I'm going to estimate low. Let's say that Warfano County, where I live, um, has uh, the Cole County has a population of somewhere, if you look at the census, between like 5,500, let's just for math, say you 5,000 people, right? Like, um, I mean, that is, I'm doing the math really quick. And it's only a hundred signatures. Like that's, I mean, you know, that's not that many people. Right. You can show up at a football game on Saturday night. Yeah, exactly. Like the kids' soccer games, you know, at the county park will have a hundred people there. You know, right. Um, and so that part was very, very, um, it, it just made it to me, it was an eye opener of the threats um, that exist in our world to agriculture, you know, and how quickly things can, it, it can quickly become a rule of the, not almost like a rule of the classes, right? Or yeah, I was going to say like a rule of mob, you know, I mean, like, oh, sure. Mob um, rule. But yeah, but that's kind of like, I mean, it's pretty strong wording. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but, um, you know, you do end up if you can give 2% of the population in a state that decides a state's fate, like, I, I don't know that that's necessarily a great 
idea. Um, and anyway, the biggest problem with this initiative, there were well, there was a lot of problems, but um, on this initiative, so it was going to go on the ballot as an initiated state statute. So, um, that oh yeah, the call. Okay, I got you. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm back. Um, the initiative would have, if you're wanting, I could read it. Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, yeah, the ballot title um, for Initiative 16 would have been as follows, quote, this is what would have been proposed to the general public, all the registered voters in Colorado this November. Shall there be a change to the Colorado revised statutes, which my understanding is that's basically the set of laws that govern Colorado. So concerning expanding prohibitions against cruelty to animals. And in connection therewith, expanding the definition of livestock to include fish, expanding the definition of sexual act with an animal to include intrusion or penetration into an animal's anus or genitals with an object or part of a person's body, and allowing an exception only for care to improve the animal's health and eliminating the existing exception for animal husbandry practices. Defining the quote, natural lifespan for certain species of livestock and providing that slaughtering those animals is not animal cruelty if done according to acceptable animal husbandry practices after the animal has lived one fourth of the natural lifespan. Removing several exceptions to the animal cruelty statutes, including exceptions for animal husbandry. Wow. Wow. So if if that does, oh, sorry, there's more. Oh, that's okay. Um, Let me finish. I've got just a couple more lines. And providing that in the case of a conflict, the cruelty to animal statutes supersede statutes concerning animal care. So these new, right, the new cruelty to animal statute would now supersede any state statutes regarding animal care. And that's just mind blowing because, you know, at the end of the day, it's supposed to be an animal welfare bill, but you're going to supersede animal care. And Mm -hmm. all of that sounds well and good, especially if you're a lay person and you don't really understand what the implications of that is for animal agriculture. And I I still don't understand why fish were thrown in there at all, but. (laughs) No, Um, I mean, if we want to get frank and honest, I think that it belies the agenda behind it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this was sponsored. And if you follow the money, the money and the agenda behind this is, um, you know, extreme activist groups that truly do not believe that humans should consume any animal or fish, you know, or um, byproduct. I mean, you know, that really want to advocate for mandated veganism. Right. So let's break, break some of this uh, Proposition 16 down and, and start yeah. like with the implications for agriculture for those people that may be listening and may not um, you know, fully understand what it takes to care for um, our domestic livestock. And right. so to start with that changing the definition that, mm-hmm. and I, that, that 
sounds and it is so perverse and and not the part about penetrating the mm-hmm. anus or right? genitalia the idea right. that somebody would make that perverse right to me is is disgusting and ridiculous so right. break this down in veterinary terms and <laughs> and what that means in, in terms of what you could or couldn't do as a veterinarian right. or or what I could or couldn't do as yes. an animal owner Yes. Great question. Um, it would, yes, th- this was designed to eliminate routine animal care and, and husbandry right now, things that we regularly do to support the efficiency of our production right now, which that's a whole nother tangent. Um, but America is, has some of the most efficient beef production in the whole world. Um, So we're the most sustainable of anybody ever anywhere. Um, And we are in large part doing that on things like, because uh, certain routine care practices. Um, And one of those being preg checking. And that is kind of our layman's term for identifying if the cow is bred. And um, if I'm breaking it down, if I'm getting, you know, two basic you can edit me out or whatever, or let me know. <laughs> but you know, the cow's job is to make a calf. I mean, you know, that, that is where steak beef comes from cattle, bovine. Um, and so we are raising cattle instead of a, a corn crop or an alfalfa crop. Um, our crop is, is beef pounds of beef. And so if a mama cow is not pregnant in the fall, if she's not bred, um, she's not contributing to the economy, so to speak, the, of our ranch. Um, it's a little micro economy, but she is going to be taking feed. She's going to be eating grass that, especially in our parts of the country is very limited. Um, she's going to be taking resources that another pregnant cow could be utilizing. And so just removing her from that production system saves our ranches so, so much money. I, um, I mean, we could get into, you know, the, the, the data and the production numbers of how just preg checking in the fall is like the least utilized. It's the most undervalued tool, blah, blah. You know, I mean, basically everybody should be doing it really. Um, and you'll you'll make your whole ranching operation far more profitable. Okay. So this proposal, I'm so sorry that I go off on a tangent. This proposal um, would eliminate that. It would make it illegal to preg check a cow because we, we do it rectally. So there's, you can do either manual, which means, you know, with your arm and your hand, and you're going to go in, you have a long sleeve and you're going to go, in through her rectum. And with your hand, you're going to feel if she's an early uh, gestation, you'll be feeling different signs in the uterus. And if she's really far along, you're going to oftentimes be bumping off a calf itself, actually. Um, Or some people are using ultrasound now, which I do both. Um, But then you have a small transducer probe that you would introduce into, into her rectum and it scans and it's actually much faster. It can be even um, 
learning curve, but once you pick it up, it's, it's pretty quick. Um, and this would now be made illegal by this change in the, and, and I should add too, um, <clears throat> when we're prep checking, we we're also, you know, there's other health. I mean, just like humans, when you have your, yes. um, there's yep. other health, um, benefits to that. And in yes. terms of disease and prevention and, you know, may, if, if all of your cows are open and then you might have right. to look at your bull and see if he's got mm. some sort of an STD and, right. um, exactly the benefit of, um, uh, well, and the importance of animal has good animal husbandry right. practices. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, yes, exactly. Preg checking does, you know, tip you off, especially if you, um, either, you know, and some ranchers do it themselves on their own cattle, which in, as far as I'm aware, most, almost every state in America that is legal, you can, you can treat and, you know, manage and take care of and doctor your own animals legally, you know, now, if you went out and charged somebody else to do that, then you're practicing medicine, you know? Um, so, but the point is, my point is, so either the rancher that has been doing his, his preg checking for years or, you know, has worked with a good production veterinarian, um, they know that like this herd is usually at a 96% preg rate, right? So if this fall, the herd's coming in at like 82%, you know, we're, we're going to be like, I'm, I mean, I'm talking with the cow boss there. It's, you know, okay, we got to look at, you know, and plot out. And then the next thing that I would do is like plot out the data of when the gestations are, um, and you get information about that as far as trying to figure out the diagnosis, but yes, preg checking in itself gives you invaluable data for your herd. You also get other like less, slightly less tangible, but it's a great chance you'll check hooves check, um, you know, utter the, you know, bag quality, utter quality. Like, you know, if she's got supernumerary teats or, you know what I mean? Or, Oh, she's getting kind of saggy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other, uh, well, as you mentioned, there's this, there's so many, um, crazy facets to that, but the other thing that really struck me was that, um, the natural lifespan. So I think it was beef was set to like 20 years as a natural life. Yes. Um, chickens, eight turkeys, 10 pigs, 15. Um, and and who knows where they came up with that number. I mean, definitely we've had beef cattle in their twenties. Um, but then for outlier on the bell shape curve. I mean, they're, they're really stretching that, you know, they're saying just because like one cow in a thousand might live to 20 years old, the majority of them are going to start losing their teeth around, mm, I mean, arguably between eight to 12 years of age. I mean, and that's when it is time for them to find a new career, as we would say. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But that is, I think one of the beauties of our, of our industry and our production system is that there is very little waste, you know, in, but in beef and agriculture in America, Um, Americans are very thrifty. 
Right. Yes, we have to be. Mm-hmm. And and so this law, then it would make it illegal or you would be like what felony cruelty. Mm-hmm. If you um, processed, harvested yes. beef before age four. Right. Well, um, one fourth of 20 years would be five years or old. Five. Yes. Yeah. Right. And um, I don't know if you've ever had to eat a call five-year-old bull. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Luckily me, no, but, um, but even like the older cows, you know, that you tend to eat a lot of chili and um, spaghetti. And there's a reason that we joke about her becoming a McDonald's hamburger. Right. Right. Exactly. Or just hamburger. You know, our palate, our palate likes finished beef, which in today's production cycle is about just under two years old. Um, the average age in commercial slaughter is about a year and a half, again, somewhere between 18 to 22 months. And just for people that don't know, that is a full-sized uh, bovine. Like that is a full-sized cow or steer. You know, it's not like a baby. Okay. Right. It's you know, grown that's up. not veal. Like these are big, they look, they look on the outside, just like, any other cow out in the pasture. Right. You know, but that's that sweet spot of where they're, they're, the muscles and the meat have not gotten tough yet. Right. You know, it's still palatable to our, our taste. And um, if it was an intact, non-castrated beef, then it's also not going to have as much testosterone, which would make the flavor very strong. And Right. Um, in my opinion, undesirable. Yes, 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 so. exactly. And, and that's the other part too, right? Then, oh gosh, there's so much. I mean, I feel like Vanessa, I'm sorry, I could talk about this for hours. Um, but yes, yeah, so that the law, that law change would have also um, included, aside from preg checking, right? Um, the genitals, it would have eliminated castrating. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. And in theory, it would have eliminated spaying and neutering dogs and cats too. Oh my goodness. Because it was supposed to outlaw human contact. It was um, to redefine a sexual act with an animal also would include intrusion or penetration, however slight with an object or part of a person's body. So Into we already have a yeah, we, we already have oh, a crisis. And, oh, yeah. Sorry, oh, and it was going to say that an a sexual act with an animal may be proven without allegation or proof of penetration. Ridiculous. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't even have words. It was like, what planet did I just land on? Right. And, and so we already have a, a situation where we, we don't have enough veterinarians um, right. or, or, you know, care staff, I'm sure technicians, right. all of those. And then, and then Colorado wants to pass this kind of a law. I mean, what would that do to your practice? If, if you were, um, you know, you felt that there was a hill to stand on and you wanted to, you know, quote yeah. unquote, buck the system and face yeah. all kinds of felony charges, um, right. You know, that's one option or the other option is just like, this is your practice. This is what you do. So you go out of business. Yeah. I, I mean, I will admit that um, at some point in this, I thought that 
I was mentally kind of coming up with plans B and C um, because I, you know, I don't look good in orange. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) not my color. Um, And, you know, (laughs) but in all seriousness, you know, I really was like, I am, I actually re uh, renewed my Wyoming license in 2021. Right. Um, just to make sure I had a plan B. Right. Um, you know, and did you find that, that most, that all vets felt as you do, or were there vets that were in favor of this proposition? I don't know anybody that was in favor of it. Okay. Um, I, I would say that every vet that I know personally at least in the, you know, in the rural, uh, small animal communities, even, even the small animal communities were even concerned about right. it because of redefining sexual act with an animal to basically include spaying. Cause you have now had contact with that animal's, you know, genitals. Right. right? Like how ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know anybody that was, I, I personally don't know anyone that was for it. Right. And so, um, I didn't really follow, um, in the headlines, what happened to the legislators yeah. that put this forward, but they, that they had to been close to being crucified, um, you know, <laughs> by the t- I don't, well, I believe without misspeaking, I'm pretty certain that at least one of the representatives that co-authored it was the Colorado representative from Boulder. And another one was a, I believe a Denver area. Uh, representative. Um, so I don't know. I mean, their constituents may have been perfectly happy with this initiative, but I can say that the rest of Colorado was not. Um, and I, you, you know, I'll, I give a, almost, I mean, I can't say all cause I wasn't there personally, but I give a ton of credit to, um, Terry Finkhauser, who was the president of the Colorado Cattlemen's Association and um, for getting on top of this right away. Um, And he luckily mobilized, um, you know, some legal aspects and um, they were, they got it shut down and thrown out at the Colorado Supreme court in June of 2021. Okay. Well, that's the scary part. Um, is that it was thrown out on technicalities, not on content. Yeah, so it was the Colorado Supreme Court shut it down. They said that, nope, you can't put this on the ballot. You can't even get signatures for it because um, you've got three substance changes in it. You're only allowed to to, to put one subject matter on a ballot initiative. Wow. So do you think this is coming back? I would not be surprised. You know, it it just, it's so, um, it's really frustrating as, you know, business owners and and producers and livestock owners, but it's already an uphill battle to, you know, for for 1% of the population that tries to feed the other 99. Um, and, And then to have that, uh, uh, any part of that 99 not really appreciate 
right. you know, the struggle. And so we're so right. busy trying to, you know, do what we do. <clears throat> Break ice, make sure your water's on, make sure that the feed rat rat, the ration is mixed right. I mean, everything like, right. You know. And then yeah. all of a sudden, um, you know, it's legislative season or, or these, yeah. this ballot comes up and then, and now and that's always to- around weaning and preg checking <laughs> and shipping, which is like 18 hour days sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and you, and I, and I have to say probably the detractors realize this um, I think so. and they, they clearly uh, are not producing anything um, probably not right. their tofurkey or even their, I don't know how much of their <laughs> vegetables and sprouts they're even producing. Um, and, and so those, those hardworking people that are uh, producers, now we have to uh, throw one more ball in the air and try to juggle, which is to keep up on right. legislation and then, and find um, yeah. some way to communicate common sense uh, to the yes. masses and, and, yes. um, you know, basically play defense. Yeah. And I will say, you know, social media definitely has its cons and its drawbacks. Um, but in this regard, I think that at least regarding the prop 16, um, social media really facilitated spreading awareness and, um, you know, more ranchers in rural Colorado than we think have a Facebook account, you know? And so there was a, uh, there's a private group that I'm part of um, and it spread. I mean, it went from like a hundred people. I think, we, you know, maybe we had like 60 people on the first day and within like 72 hours, you know, there was like 16,000 members. Wow. Kind of um, it, to a spread awareness, uh, you know, and, and educate on, you know, why this is bad. Like this, this is really bad. Um, right. I think one thing that is in Colorado's favor, Colorado agriculture favor, ag in Colorado is a billion dollar industry. So why are representatives and governor and legislators think that they need to eliminate that? I don't know. I can't understand that. I mean, there goes their whole budget, like on all the tax revenue. And anyway, um, yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe they don't make tax revenue off of ag. But I just can't see how how eliminating a billion dollars of cash flow to your state economy is good policy. Right. I don't understand that at all. Um. Anyways, long story short, I think that that is in Colorado's favor. Um, that it is it is a huge, significant industry uh, for the state, um, and. So therefore, there is a lot of collective resource in the agriculture industry in this to, you know, to fight things like this. Right. Um, and and it had to be cool. really reassuring for producers to, to see those numbers grow on that Facebook page and mm-hmm. um, to realize that yeah. they're not alone. And that's, yeah. you know, some that's kind of what we're trying to accomplish here with this podcast is to be, awesome. uh, you know, a platform for producers and for for all of us to realize that um, we may not be in the same boat, but we're, we're out here in the, in the same waters at least yes. and not alone. And also, you know, provide some explanation to what we do with the general public. And um, you know, we, we hope that 
things that they hear on the podcast resonate with them and give them a better understanding and appreciation for mm-hmm. where their food comes from, where their clothes or their micro brews or <laughs> orange juice <laughs> or, you know, whatever product they're consuming. I mean, you know, at, at risk of sounding trite, uh, you know, your tofu does not just come from whole foods. <laughs> right. Someone I had to grow that. They're not they're not growing it in the back there behind the counter. Right. That's not where our food comes from. That's where we buy it. Most of it, but so, um, you know, and I, you know, I'd say the two things, the COVID pandemic and this prop 16, you know, it's kind of funny. Like they all happened within a year. Right. And from my, I see, some, so obviously it, it all highlighted definitely some weaknesses, you know, in our system and in our industry and some threats. Um, and I really definitely hope that our American ag industry producers, individuals, even just uh, Americans in general are going to be able to, but recognize those weaknesses and threats and turn them into strengths and opportunities, you know, um, Right. For example, remember when, um, gosh, I cannot remember which of the big packers it was, but uh, it was up in the Greeley area and they basically had COVID go through um, their plant. <laughs> and right. that was like, woo, you know, while yes, we have a very efficient system that is producing the least expensive product, you know, to the consumer with the least amount of inputs on the, you know, environmental side, um, Mm -hmm. that also has its own price, right? There's a cost to that. And there's a fragility to the whole system. It's kind of like this little house of cards, right? And, you know, when only four packers are, are processing 85% of the beef in America, if one goes down, like, I mean, we saw it happen, you know? Right. Well, and then, and I didn't realize this. I mean, I, I knew about how powerful the Packers were and, and the, and the part the market share when it comes to processing that they uh, controlled, but I didn't realize until COVID that um, they own like 80% of the pigs in the U S so from Pharaoh to finish Yes. To, to your to your supermarket, eighty percent of them are owned yes. by one of four companies, and then um, I think it's uh, I want to say it's like 60, 60 or eighty percent of the beef. Also, it's not as much the, of the beef on the beef side that that they own the animals where, from birth to death. But oh, gotcha! Still a pretty significant wow. number. So you know they wow. then then they're controlling. I mean, they're basically controlling all the markets also, and and right, um, right it's vertical integration, like to the nth degree. Um, and you know, right. We, the one, uh, positive of that, was though that at least with the prop 16, um, having JBS here in Colorado, um, and Cargill, there's like a lot of resources and power and, um, uh, you know, for a little while, I guess we're all on the same team, right? Like, you know, they, they also do not want to have to sit on cattle 
until they're five years old. Right. And, and there's a, there are um, a pretty significant number of feedlots in the state of Colorado too. Sure. Now, some of the others are over in Dodge city area and Amarillo, Dalhart, you know, Texas, but mm-hmm. this kind of region has a lot of, of feeders. And um, so, yes, they also were motivated. I guess that's the word I'm looking for motivated um, to fight this initiative, you know, very, very quickly. And everybody got together. Yeah. And, mobilized and got it squashed. I can't imagine what, what your beef would cost, what a hamburger would cost if they, if the Packers had to, or the the feeders had to sit on it for five years. Where would you put it? I mean, (laughs) does it make any sense at all? No, no, but there is an, I do think that there's an, there's an opportunity, um, for, I would, I, I was saying if I had, I don't know how much it would actually take, but if I had $10 million, I'd put a packing plant down in Otero County, you know, right. there's 400,000 fat cattle in a three County radius right there, you know, right. <laughs> I'd put a mid-sized packer there. That, that's what we need is more of those for sure. And, and I know that the, well, the, the USDA is trying to do something about that and, and hopefully, you know, they follow through and, and hopefully there's enough brave people that want to, to, to do that because that's yeah. not always. Um, it's not the glory. It's not the glamorous part. Right. Of, of course, n- none of our work is. <laughs> true. Like, yes. I mean, we don't, we, we love it. And, and, yes. and uh, but yes. I, you know, clearly only 1% of the population is doing this, then mm-hmm. um, there's plenty yeah. of people that don't find it desirable or. Yeah. Worth the risk yeah. reward. <clears throat> Indeed. Yeah, that's true. It's a, it's a, a select few, a, a chosen few, I guess, but. Right. Right. And hopefully, hopefully some, some more come in and we don't lose as many. For I sure. did want to ask you about something kind of totally off topic. Um, and it came up okay. in our last, in my last podcast with okay. uh, Heidi Krosky and um, what we were what Heidi was talking about is what was, has been happening in Virginia with um, animal owners rights and um, animal owners, like taking a pet to the vet that's sick and then finding themselves uh, like battering rams at their door, thrown in handcuffs, charged with animal cruelty. Um, And, and a lot of these cases are being dropped obviously um, because there's, you know, they were just trying to do the right thing, but it seems like the veterinarians that they're taking their animals to are um, somehow complicit in their um, wrongful charges. And wow. so she gave the example of a puppy that had chewed on some plastic and they took it to the vet and uh, had swallowed it. Actually, they removed it and, but it had peritonitis and it ended up dying. Mm. And so um, that owner was, charge for cruelty. And so, yeah. So I didn't know if you had any, I mean, clearly you're in Colorado um, and and you weren't, I know you didn't have a a practice, um, you know, outside of us and another person when you were there, but I mean, in the industry in general, do you, do you see pressures, um, you know, by vets from outside organizations and, you know, that's a, that is a very interesting and fascinating 
and a can of worms, if you will. Right. And in the state of Colorado, veterinarians are um, mandated reporters. So if we see, uh, you know, evidence of gross abuse, neglect, and I mean, and I'm also coming at this from a production veterinarian perspective. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that is something like, you know, a, a significant amount of body condition scores below two, mm-hmm. you know, on a nine mm-hmm. scale. Mm-hmm. Not uh, just one old no. cow, but everything is kind of right. Um, you know, then yes, if I, you know, if I am aware of that, like I am required by law to notify the Bureau of Animal Protection in Colorado, which is under the Colorado's Department of Agriculture, um, which is under a division of the, the state veterinarian. Um, and that's interesting, but then it, gosh, I, I'm just, my, my mind is kind of spinning over all of this, like how it can become, well, you know, I mean, my goodness, we can end up having witch hunts, mm-hmm. you know, and it goes both ways. Um, you know, what's interesting, my conversations, you know, obviously are more with other colleagues and stuff. And so what we've been experiencing and what I'm hearing from other vets all around the country uh, is just like a high number of really frivolous um, board complaints mm-hmm. on vet licenses. And it's because, you know, I mean, in the end, really, it's like people that, and I'm by frivolous, I mean, like people complaining because filing a board complaint on somebody's license because, you know, Dr. Smith just wasn't available. Dr. Smith couldn't get me in until, you know, June for, and and what it turns out to be was like puppy vaccines, you know, or, I mean, uh, you know, something that I'm, that's kind of an exaggeration, but you know, those really, really. It wasn't life or death. I mean, at the end of the day, we're not talking malpractice kind of stuff here, you know? Um, And so vets have been just because people in general over the last couple of years have just been so angry. Right. I mean, that's a whole nother thing of the COVID and the shutdown and what it's done to our collective mental health. Um, and they're, and, and people are taking it out and, and we've got, you know, and people getting animals in record numbers in the last couple of years, you know, and so there is a huge, huge, uh, lack of supply, right. For, of veterinary medicine right now. Um, and people are angry. And so they're just going to go file a board complaint, you know, anyway. Um, so that's what we're seeing, but then what you're explaining is almost a, something almost like retaliation or I don't know, almost like a vet wanting to try to get even or something. And like, they're mad at the owner of the animal. Gosh, that seems like such a slippery slope because I mean, you weren't there. You don't know what happened. You didn't see it, you know? Right. Well, and I realize that, you know, Virginia is way outside your wheelhouse. Yeah. And I do appreciate you sharing that insight. And, and because I hadn't really thought about, you know, what it is um, to be a veterinarian in this, like you mentioned, kind of angry, hypercritical world yeah. that we, we now live yeah. in. Everyone's, yeah. um, so many people I, have short fuses and, and yeah. um, 
you know, no, no patience and even less social skills. And yeah. And I, I just, gosh, if, if there was a vet that was like, that basically was like retaliating on that owner, that's, that's horrible. That's awful. That's shitty. I mean, I, and I would also say, gosh, we weren't there. You know, I have no idea. Like we don't know. I, and maybe, you know, I don't know if your other uh, interviewee knew the puppy owners personally or not. I'm um, just through our, our animal owners Alliance. And, and okay. so in addition to that puppy, there, there's, there's at least a dozen that we know of um, um, different situations yeah. altogether. Um, yeah. but, but Virginia has its own animal law unit, okay. um, which started out of a, a dog fighting dog and cock fighting task force, which, right. you know, no one wants to see that. And then, sure. um, right. you know, it, it seems like it's just kind of, um, Take- bloomed into something more <clears throat> taken on a life of its own. And now it's become almost a witch hunt, right? It, you know, exactly. Uh, Nathan, uh, the uh, old Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yeah. You know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's Orwellian. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, <I'll be> <laughs> yeah. I, I think. Mm. Well, I'm glad it's not happening in Colorado or that you haven't felt, you know, any pressure from any organization and, and yeah. um, you know, that's, that's just um, can be a tough position to be in for yeah you know, I you, have you, for your practice. Been, it is. Yeah. I, I, and it's interesting that this comes up. I, I was, um, I would, I was involved in two different, um, pretty severe neglect, equine neglect cases down here in Southern Colorado. <laughs> um, it's a whole long, long, long story. I will say that, um, those, ones for me, for, you know, ethically, like my conscience, you know, um, I was, you know, I also had the, I had the opportunity. I was requested to go with the County sheriffs. Okay. To inspect the herds, um, to, you know, and, and so I had that opportunity to get my own visual, you know, and, you know, assessment and go, okay, you know, there is like whatever X percent of animals here, um, you know, are ones and twos. Yeah. You know, um, the, the pasture has been grazed to the dirt. I mean, there's not even, there's not a lick of grandma grass anywhere. Gosh. <laughs> there's not even a yucca to be seen, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, no. And if they had just come to me and been like, here's a few pictures, you know, yeah. Will you sign off on this? No, no, I won't because, you know, I need to know that this is correct and factual, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and true. And, um, and that this isn't something that is being misinterpreted or, you know, and, um, gosh, it's a, it's a tricky, I don't have great answers. The whole, um, animal cruelty and welfare issues are, they're complicated. They're, they're not black and white, you know, 
Right. <clears throat> but, you know, we do, we all, um, not all, but we have, you know, the five free in, in the um, zoo world, we have the five freedoms that we look at and, yeah. and you know, clearly yeah. there are other benchmarks and, yeah, um, I, I think it, it behooves yeah. all of us producers that when we know there's bad actors that we, yes, we do the tough thing and we, um, you know, we, if we can, we have a conversation with them. Um, yes. And, and if we can't have a conversation and, you know, we're talking to our brand inspector, we're talking to, yeah. you know, other people that are in a position um, to, yes. um, you know, make those concerns aware because. Mm-hmm. Um, right. If there will we, always be a, you know, a, a bad apple. And, absolutely. Um, and if ag self polices. Yes. And there is no need for big brother, you know, right. exactly. if we take care of, if we handle business, our, you know, ourselves, so to speak. And, um, and, you know, and yeah, like real cowboys would never let their horse starve to death. I mean, they would humanely euthanize it with a 45 yeah. before they did that. You know, they would never let their horse limp around a section of, of pasture with a broken ankle. Right. You know, I mean, right. And if you and, really can't, cowboys, that is, can't afford the vet to come out with the euthanasia, yeah. they've got a shotgun or you wouldn't use a shotgun, but you know, sure. they've got a means. Yeah. Yes, they have a means, which is AVMA approved. AVMA as well. approved, exactly. You know? Oh, <sighs> sorry. Right. A little soapbox there. Yeah. So tell me if we, um, for listeners that have yeah. animals and have yeah. a vet that they take their animals yeah. to, um, what are some of the things that we can show support and appreciation oh. to our veterinarians? You know, the first thing I'd, I would ask is, but, and I never thought I'd say this, but um, just have some grace and courtesy manners, you know, right. <laughs> just, <laughs> it's like, if, if people are just, you'll catch more flies with honey than vinegar, I promise. Um, <laughs> and in this climate and market, like, you know, the ones that get vinegary are the first to get cold or, you know, <laughs> right. Um, you know, we all understand, at least I do. I mean, most of us understand that money is not unlimited. You know, I'm a veterinarian and I have two kids and I have a practice debt and student loans. And, you know, I'm on a budget as well too, you know? Um, So (laughs) you get people that are like, well, I'm on a fixed income. Well, so am I. We're all on a fixed income. Okay. Like, Uh, it it doesn't just grow on trees. So I understand that, Um, you know, so if, especially if you're somebody that's newer to, you know, vet med or pet ownership or even livestock ownership, you know, I'm seeing a lot of hobby people getting into it, um, which I can, I, I'm, I love, right. Cause it's going to get more people connected to agriculture and maybe starting to understand where their food comes from, blah, blah, blah. However, it has its drawbacks too, that they have no idea what to expect. So um, if you, if you've been with a vet for a while, like, I guess where I'm going with this is you probably have a good sense for where, you know, the invoices and billing costs are going to be. Right. Um, If you're new to the market or the industry or whatever, um, 
don't be afraid to ask first. I, we would, I would so much rather you ask first and I'm, we're always happy to give an estimate. And a lot of times it's an estimate because the amount of drugs and the amount of time, you know, varies, but we can give you a ballpark. We can go, you know, is it's like, doc, is this going to be $400 or $4,000, you know? Right. Kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so have those commu- communications. Don't, don't expect anybody to work for free. Right. You right. Know? Um, you know, unless a vet is working for a literal 501c, like we are not a hobby. Like right. we are still trying to feed our kids at home and keep our own lights on. And that doesn't make us money grubbing or bad people. Um, I, I just don't know anybody that's not retired that goes to work for free in America. Like, so, you know, uh, I guess I would just invite the client clients in general to reflect on their own uh, mindsets. Sure. <laughs> and, and encourage dialogue up front. Yeah. Yeah. That, ask um, questions. And an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and call sooner rather than later, you know, um, and especially on the production and livestock side, um, really, you know, I will be totally frank. I really don't want a phone call at 2 AM that your horse has been colicking for 36 hours. Right. Like, you know, I just, that goes back to kind of handle your shit. Like a real cowboy knows when he untacked at four 30 that the horse ain't right. Right. And he's on the phone to let me know, you know, and I would so much rather appreciate that we can triage it. I can grab dinner. And if I need to, I can get out there. Um, (laughs) um, And the other thing that's going to change in the next several years is going to be the availability of mobile vets. Mm-hmm. Um, I predict there's going to be less and less of it. So, and that's a big problem with people that kind of are either semi-retired or retired and want a kind of more hobby ranch or backyard or homesteading. Um, they're they don't have a trailer bingo. Mm-hmm. If you have livestock, if you do not have a trailer right now, you need to start budgeting and saving up to get one really within the next year. I mean, it's just not going to get any better mm-hmm. industry-wise as far as like veterinarians and their availability. And um, when I practiced in Sheridan, even back in the mid 2000s, mid to late 2000s, up there, that practice, um, everybody, all, 98% of the clients had trailers and hauled in. Us vets, we went on ranches for health papers, for shipping, you know, pot loads mm-hmm. um, and preg checking herd work, but individual animal care all came to the clinic. Right. And that was, oh goodness, 16 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so um, certain areas of the country, the community and the culture has already adapted and adjusted to that. Um, I feel like that is definitely more common in, should we just say areas with larger herd size, you know, sure. where it is more of a professional business. Right. Um, then um, a hobby or a supplemental income. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Well, awesome. Well, I am so grateful for your time tonight and I get Thank to, I got to spend this time with you. It's been way too long and be well. 
Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Good night. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Desert Ranch Podcast. We hope we gave you a good look into the lives of those that care for land and livestock far past the nine-to-five lifestyle. Until we talk again, have a fantastic week. Horses mark forgotten trails. We're dreaming.